Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to a Disney at Work podcast. So many of the podcasts we offer are really with DisneyAtPlay.com, where we really just celebrate all of the things we love about Disney. Disney at Work offers you an opportunity to look at how ideas from the happiest place on earth could be applied to your own organization or even to your own personal life. That's the case today as we talk about Bob Chapik's first year as CEO. At the start of a terrible pandemic one year ago, Bob Chapik was surprisingly placed in the difficult position of being Disney's new CEO. The year that followed has been a horrific period for businesses across the globe. Today, the Walt Disney Company held their annual shareholders meeting for 2021. We look at what was announced in that meeting, as well as reflect on the events of the last year. We make a case that Bob Chapek has done some heavy lifting in keeping this company not only alive, but in making it agile and even innovative. While his performance isn't perfect, the period of his tenure has been remarkable given such difficult times. We look at why people throw criticism at Bob Chapek, particularly petty personal comments that really have nothing to do with his performance. We look at how that is reflected in most workplaces as too often the boss at the top becomes the shared enemy that unifies others. We look at why that's unproductive and why Chapek's own performance as CEO has merit. If you're joining us, make sure you check out this podcast on DisneyAtWork.com, which is the sister uh, website to our DisneyAtPlay.com. And make sure you um, join us and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever particular podcast you follow. There are five reasons I have come to define Chapek's performance, not just over the last year, but really since he came aboard Disney. The first thing to give consideration to is the reality that this has been the hardest economic period, probably since the Depression, at least for the Walt Disney Company. Bob Iger said at the outset, of the meeting, this is the most difficult year in recent years, if ever. I believe this may be the hardest economic period for the Walt Disney Company since the Depression, the strike, and World War II. If you go back to those years, Walt Disney struggled to make its first full-length animated feature during the heart of the depression, came um, successfully through that only to face a subsequent strike by its animators and then be plummeted into World War II where markets, particularly across Europe and the rest of the globe, were completely closed off to him. They were hard, long years for Walt, but he built up from there and honestly, the company has had mostly uh, successes since. Now, that's not to say they haven't had some difficult periods, but I don't think the company has ever had a period quite like 
the last year. In the tourism industry, things have been truly obliterated. And not just for Disney, but Las Vegas, cruise lines in general, travel in general, airlines specifically, it has been very, very difficult. And yet despite this, Disney, particularly as it was discussed and noted today during the annual shareholder meeting, it has kept its operation going to include activities like uh, nearly having reopened all of its parks under a high level of um, safety standards. We talked about the fact that the road has been open for Disneyland to reopen, which has been the last park to really uh, to reopen and it's had some difficulty with Paris and Hong Kong opening and then closing, opening and closing and so forth. Disneyland has never reopened since it closed nearly a year ago. And here it is. Uh, the company is finally having that window of opportunity and they believe that in the next week or two they will announce those opening dates, reopening dates, which should be somewhere, as Bob put it, uh, toward the end of April. So that is a big milestone. Additionally, it has received over 100 million new subscribers to Disney Plus since that service has opened and it's continued to expand other direct-to-consumer efforts globally across the board. This has been phenomenally successful and has really helped Disney to stay on the map. Moreover, it has kept um, uh, continued film and animation production whenever and wherever safely possible. That includes over 100 new titles, which they have promised to bring to Disney Plus on an annual basis. It has become the number one news provider for morning and evening network news in the United States, despite the fact that they've had to, you know, literally provide some of those newscasts from, from home. Uh, it has continued construction on many theme park projects. It is focused efforts on being more inclusive and was recently recognized with five Golden Globe Awards to include Best Animated Film for Soul. So despite how painful the last year is, there has been some really positive, great things that have come of the last 12 months. Ellen Braverman, I believe it was, who said um, during the... Um, during the meeting, quote, we have demonstrated our resiliency. We have more than persevered. And, and I would say that's truly the case. They haven't just floated along or barely survived. They have tried to thrive. They have tried to be agile and to break through in what has been the hardest economic period since the depression for Disney. And for that reason alone, I believe Bob Chapek should be given some credit for having gotten the organization through its period. Now, if you go back a couple of decades ago, when Michael Eisner came on board, the company was being threatened by people who would come in and overtake the company. That window was kind of reopened in the last 12 months, and Disney has successfully avoided 
the chance for wolves on Wall Street to take over the organization during this period. They have been very fortunate to have stayed out of that problem, which was a huge problem back in 84. So really, they have, they have had to deal with very hard things, harder than most CEOs have ever had to deal with um, in previous decades at Disney. The second thing I want to say is, if you really want to analyze Bob Chapek's work, you have to kind of step beyond this one, this last one year, tenure, this one last year period, because it really isn't reflective of, you know, what does the CEO look like in good times? I want to take you back to when Bob Chapek was head of, simply head of Disney parks and resorts and offerings. Um, you might remember that before all of this, in the last D23 conference that we had, Bob Chapek as head of Disney Parks got up and made announcements that were substantially huge at the time, not including other projects that were already downstream, such as Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. He named dozens of new projects across all theme parks, across the globe. After that event, um, other announcements have been made for projects like um, the Roundup Barbecue uh, at, in uh, Toy Story Land. Uh, let me go through that list. And again, it's a good reason to refer to the um, Disney um, at work.com site because we're going to present this and I want to I want to go through the announcements that were made um, and some of these were made at that time some of them were made just before some were made just after that but I want you to consider so many of the announcements that were made um, Walt Disney World Tron Light Cycle Run Sorcerer's Apprentice uh, replacement, which has not been formally announced yet, but my inside set, insider knowledge says that is underway. Um, at Epcot, creating not a future world, but three different lands. One is World Discovery being developed with the Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind Coaster. Um, one is the Play Pavilion and the former Wonders of Life Pavilion. One is Space 220 Restaurant. Um, the Epcot Experience, World Celebration um, being developed with a park entrance remodel, a spaceship Earth redo, um, a new uh, post-show area after Spaceship Earth called Dreamer's Point, a new restaurant, a new gift shop to replace uh, Mouse Gears, a new festival pavilion, uh, World Nature, um, its section being developed with Awesome Planet, the film Awesome Planet, The Journey of Water with Moana, um, off to World Showcase with Wondrous China, Canada Far and Wide, Beauty and the Beast Sing Along, Ratatouille, um, Mary Poppins, Epcot Forever, Harmonious, um, at the studios, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, and the barbecue that I just mentioned, not to forget Cirque du Soleil, Drawn to Life, Reflections, a Disney Lakeside Lodge, and the Star Wars Cruiser, uh, a Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. 
Now, when you, that's a lot of attractions and activities to name. And yet out of what is, oh, and Disney Genie, if I haven't mentioned that. Now, out of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 6, 7, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, nearly 30 projects, nearly 30 projects were announced at D23 for Walt Disney World alone um, were announced for D at D23 or just prior to that or just after that. And of those 30, four of them have been kind of, okay, what's the status of them? You know, the Lakeside Lodge is not underway. It's been stopped. The Play Pavilion has been stopped. The Festival Pavilion has stopped. And so has Cirque du Soleil. But these are all expected at some point to restart. And two of them, Spaceship Earth, Mary Poppins, they seem to be canceled for the long term with no assurity that they will be restarted. But given that, here we're talking about what essentially is six attractions out of 30 that are in jeopardy or at least have temporarily been canceled. Now, many of these others in green are coming along at a much slower pace. We thought we'd have Tron by now. We knew that we'd have Harmonious. Um, if I, I can't, yeah, Harmonious by now. And and um, and s many of them have already premiered. I mean, we already had seen have seen Epcot Forever. We've already had Awesome Planet and Canada Far and Wide and The Beauty of the Beast sing along. Um, so Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Rail. I mean, there has been so much growth for just Walt Disney World alone. And whilst much of that has slowed, very little of it has slowed to a halt or has been canceled at all. And who was in charge of all of those getting out the gate or being announced in the first place? It was Bob Chapek. Now I've gone through several decades prior to Chapek and let me tell you, those decades combined could not create a list this big. The, the number of things that have been focused on or, pro, or proposed since um, really, especially since Shanghai opened, has been staggering. And then we get to Disneyland, where Magic Happens premiered, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway has been announced, Avengers Campus, Spider-Man Web, Pim K Test Kitchen. By the way, we haven't talked about the Princess and the Frog redo or the Jungle Cruise redo. We haven't talked about the little things like the new a gelato stand in Italy, um, Avengers Assemble at Disneyland. Then we go to um, Shanghai Disneyland Zootopia, um, Hong Kong Disneyland, Castle Magical Dreams, which has premiered, Kingdom of Arendelle with Frozen Ever After and Wondering Elkins uh, Sliding Sleighs. That's still under construction going on. Um, Marvel Campus at Disneyland Paris Studios is undergoing Art of Marvel Hotel New York is almost completed. Um, and then we get to the Disney Wish, which they mentioned would come out the summer of 22. Yes, the other two cruise ships, six and, um, um, six and seven, have been slowed down. There's also the Lighthouse Point. And can you just, I'm just, can you appreciate for a moment how much work is still going on. Very little of this has slowed and practically nothing has been canceled. 
Um, some are being redone, um, but very little has been stopped. Much of it has been slowed down, but very little stopped. And I gotta say, that speaks that speaks to me in a big way. That um, Chapik has done a lot to advocate for the parks. Again, many of those projects have been delayed and a few have been canceled, but that is a very few set of projects compared to the whole. Now today, they announced that Ratatouille at Epcot is not opening until October 1st. Um, I know already that project, that, that attraction is essentially done. And to me, that was disappointing news, along with the um, cruise line really probably not starting operations to fall. Those were disappointing pieces of news. But that speaks to me that, that the company is being measured. It's trying to be as responsible as it can in reopening and not just creating a new crush of people uh, by having a new attraction added, waiting carefully. I think, you know, honestly, if when I saw that original list at D23, I thought, why don't they spread this out a little bit more? Now they are spreading it out a little bit more to get more bang for their buck, which they should do as a company. They want to keep hotel rooms filled. They want to keep the parks filled. And you need to spread things out a little to make that happen. It's not what I prefer. I prefer all of it tomorrow. But that's not that's not realistic, especially given um, this pandemic, these COVID times that we are in. So to me, that's one, that's the second reason why I think Chapik needs to be given a break because he has been, in my view, more park focused, especially with Walt Disney World, than any previous uh, individual has in in several um, decades. Three, um, certainly since the Disney decade back in the 90s. I mean, the 2000, 2010s were, for the most part, pretty disappointing. Number three, I think Chapik is smart. From a business point of view, he utilizes opportunities. Not every initiative has succeeded, but who can fault a company who's looking for ways to not leave money on the table, who's trying to identify new markets and new ways to support the guest experience while fortifying the bottom line? That's a responsibility you have to shareholders. That's a responsibility you have to, to your guests to create new um, opportunities. And I'll, let me just mention a few of these things. This came really early on in Chapik's tenure with the parks. You'll remember that there was an idea that let's put up tents in Tomorrowland to see if people would pay a premium to have their own little personal space um, like you do when you um, are um, at a hotel pool at like Typhoon Lagoon or Blizzard Beach. In truth, that was a trial balloon to see if that idea would work. They Nobody was ever serious about having those tents or pieces of canvas sitting up there permanently. It didn't work um, as a concept, but is you know, are you gonna slap the hand every time something doesn't work? Because if you do that, then nobody takes any chances. And then you become stayed and you don't, you don't progress. Let me give another example. Disney introduced premium parking. I hate premium parking because as an annual pass holder, uh, it means I have to pet park further, pe further back. And without um, 
not way back, but somewhat further back. And without trams, it's all the more further back. But, but honestly, I'm surprised every day how many people pay for premium parking. And in that way, I wouldn't be surprised if it contributes half a million more to the to the company every year. I don't know what the amount would be. But um, can you really blame them? If people want that premium thing, hand them a couple of water bottles and let them pay premium parking. I would never advise anybody to do it. But then again, people are willing to pay a premium um, for some things if it feels, if they feel like it's going to add additional value or save time, something of that nature. Let me give a better example. Disney, Land has had a Club 33 for decades. Um, Disney California Adventure finally put one in. More of a lounge than a restaurant. But for all these decades, nearly nearly five, nearly 50 years, nobody's put a Club 33 in 50 years in Walt Disney World. Well, in the last couple of years, they finally have. Now, I don't know that I can pay that kind of premium for Club 33 and I and most people I associate with can't. But there are people who are more than happy to do that, or more than willing to do that. And if that adds to the bottom line of Disney's success, why not do that? It adds to the ex total experience. So hey, there you go. In another more obvious example, Disney has totally built on the success of Disney Plus. It has gone out the gate and done so well. So what have they done? They've added more focus on projects, on, on building out um, more um, products that would go on Disney Plus. In my view, that makes sense. Again, some of these, they didn't work out. Others have worked out pretty good and some have been blockbusters. But you know, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Um, as they say in hockey. And so I can you blame Chapek for utilizing, for trying to explore those opportunities? In the spirit of those examples, I think that Bob Chapek has done a great job of learning some important lessons around what works and also what doesn't work, particularly in taking shortcuts and identifying new opportunities. Number four, I believe that Disney via Chapek has truly taken the long route, the long route, and especially and even the higher road. And the actions over the last year, as they have played out, they did not rush to be the first theme park uh, to reopen when um, when it was announced that um, Florida could reopen its theme parks. Uh, Universal was the first one out by several weeks, as I recall, looking back. Um, they didn't rush to be that. They rushed, they, they made sure that they had their game together before they opened up the gates. In fact, um, they could have easily gone with higher occupancy rates by now when the governor of Florida has given essentially carte blanche for them to do whatever they want to. But Disney hasn't gone that route. They haven't said, okay, whoever in wants to come in, they still have a 35% occupancy at this time. Will they raise that? Absolutely, they need to in order to completely reopen and, and get back there. But they've done it in a measured approach. When the governor of California uh, blocked 
the efforts they made to reopen Disneyland under what they perceived were similar conditions, um, Disney took the higher road. And rather than just being stubborn and obstinate, they went ahead and offered to provide vaccinations in its Disneyland parking lot uh, to support um, the, uh, the health of the state. Um, they have also uh, not rushed to be out the gate on this April 1st announcement with reopening of Disneyland. They announced today that um, that they would announce. I thought for sure they would announce today. I mean, what a perfect day. It's the shareholders meeting. But no, we're going to announce in a couple of weeks. We think it's somewhere near the end of April. Again, a fairly measured route. They're not doing things for a quick bottom buck. They are bottom line buck. They are they are looking to try to take the higher road. Um, they're not rushing to get the Disney Cruise Line back in operation, which is was again was disappointing that because just before the meeting I saw something about um, Royal Caribbean putting off its May cruises, which means they'd probably start in June. But Disney said, yeah, it's probably going to be in the fall. Again, they're and by the way, I happen to know that what at the same time. They are reinvesting in the Disney Cruise Line, updating um, software and hardware and systems to make the ship ready and prepared, not just for dealing with the pandemic, just to make the ship better. Um, to do so when you're bleeding money, that's, that's an impressive thing. And that's what I mean by taking the, the bigger picture here, the longer route. Um, they're reinvesting in infrastructure such as new roads, IT needs, cast member facilities, bathrooms even. I mean, things you don't usually... How long... Have some of these bathrooms gone at the, at the Magic Kingdom in Epcot? And almost all of those have been replaced. Cast member uh, break rooms and facilities have been redone over the last couple of years, which, you know, had gone on for decades without any real attention. I was surprised to see a total new bridge overpass type structure being put in near the back of um, the Magic Kingdom parking area. Not in an area that I don't even think is that uh, busy traffic wise, but they're taking the bigger perspective here that they're in this for the long run and not just, you know, cutting um, uh, to the moment. Um, and by the way, um, when, was it, uh, Universal and then kind of Warner Brothers kind of said, okay, we're leaving the movie theaters. Disney didn't go that route. They're not cutting off the theatrical market entirely, but they're also recognizing, hey, there's a direct-to-customer uh, window that's also viable. They're trying to make sure that they open as many options for customers to enjoy and recognizing um, that some prefer others. Um even with the same film. So again, I think the company is taking a longer route view and that's what I want in a company, especially as a shareholder, you don't want them just you know, shooting for the short term. You want them to point toward the long term. Now, in my DisneyAtWork.com um, page, I showed you the earnings over the last year. When when the announcements were made and the parks were closing and it was uncertain when they would reopen, the 
the price of the stock plummeted to $85.98. Since then, even though we are far from getting past this pandemic, we are far from getting the parks back to where they were before or the theatrical experience back to where it should be and so forth, that stock has rebounded to a closing today of $194 and change. Um, that's that's pretty significant. At the, at the end of the day, they've improved the bottom line for the company. And that is my fifth reason is why I think you ought to stay off Chapek's back. I think he's done some pretty good things for such a difficult, difficult period. Now, in that, in that spirit, I want to talk about what I refer to as the need for a common enemy. A common foe is sometimes, on occasion, healthy. For instance, college rivalries, uh, Army versus Navy on the football field, or uh, other sports competitors. John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg, they talked, um, who was it, that talked about the fact that that when they played with each other, their performance became better in their competition with each other. And when one retired, the performance of the other went went down. So sometimes it's really healthy to have that competition. Worthy marketplace competitors. I think Disney is better today because Universal keeps trying to build out and others like SeaWorld and so forth. I think it makes for a better marketplace. Um, and so if the comp competitor is Universal, so be it. We go at it to, in a healthy kind of way to perform at our very best. I think the better kind of common enemy for organizations to have is something like a natural circumstance like a pandemic that's beyond our control because we can all just kind of fight the circumstances we're in without fighting each other in the process. So there is a time and a place for co competition or even what I might call a common foe. But I get to tell you, there too often a common enemy does not work. When you're the big guy and you're squishing a small underdog and in your wrath, you're gonna get rid of all, it just doesn't look good. When you make other departments or other members of your team, your rivalry, that's not productive. That is not going to help you, your entire organization to succeed in the long run. And the third final example is your manager. I have seen, oh my goodness, as a facilitator, as someone who goes in as a consultant and deals with organizations, I know too often executives, to include CEOs, need to be addressed. They need to be fixed in many ways. You know, Mary Poppins comes in to be the nanny to the children, but in truth, it's really Mr. and Mrs. Banks she's working on. That said and done, um, it's not really healthy for a team or an organization to pick on senior management or executives or even the CEO and say, and, and, and consider them the enemy because you're really at the end of the day on the same team and it's not a healthy thing uh, to do. Now, CEOs, I admit, they can be banter for satire um, and a good CEO is one who can, who can laugh at himself um, despite his or her weaknesses um, 
And it's great when that satire, somebody, you can find some humor um, to look at something that may have been a mistake or poor performance. Um, someone recently did a music video taking the Agatha All Along number from um, WandaVision and they re-edited it as Chapek All Along. All right, kind of a cute idea. In truth, it wasn't that funny, probably because they didn't do a really good job of cutting and pasting faces and they didn't really change the lyrics. It really didn't make much of a point. The lyrics were simply a replay of the Agatha song. And they weren't customized to anything specific other than alluding at the end to the removal of the great movie rhyme. At some point, we kind of kind of get a little beyond the great movie rhyme. Um, if it had been better produced, then it probably might have been justified. At least we could have all had a good laugh and together find some commonality in that good laugh together. But describing negatively any individual, despite their status or position, by their physical traits is simply bullying. Moreover, it's a reflection of how incapable someone can be of clarifying why an individual or their performance is succeeding or failing. And in recent weeks, I've heard insipid statements made by others. And I won't name the others because that makes me just simply creating a new enemy or something. And I'm not here to create enemies. In fact, I listen to other, I read lots of other posts. I listen to other podcasts. I watch other YouTube videos. I do so to learn because many of them are very good. And the individual I'm thinking of in this situation is makes or breaks his or her podcast. But that says, but statements like, quote, he reminds me of Lex Luthor of Superman. That is a statement that just is not, is not a good statement. It is not, it is, it is, it is simply a form of bullying. Um, you know, this isn't just any fan base. This is Disney. This is not the brand or culture for making mean-spirited and petty statements or attacking others personally. This is the company that Walt Disney founded. You know, Walt Disney. The one who was positive and optimistic and hardworking. And he, by the way, made mistakes too. But to be petty and, and to be mean-spirited towards someone, even when they're at the top, is still inappropriate under any circumstance when those, those arrows are simply targeting an individual's personality or, or particularly they themselves as individuals. This is the company where everybody's hero and good guy, Mickey Mouse, has become the symbol. And where happily ever after is the outcome we're all looking for. This is the company for being inclusive and caring, uplifting and encouraging, not one that seeks to tear down other people. Now, if you're frustrated by events that perhaps cancel an important vacation or, or even more importantly, has resulted in perhaps becoming unemployed, well, you need to vent that. You have a right to express disappointment and sorrow. Sometimes 
circumstances and people and, and their decisions make life hard. You have the right to call out those issues or at least express your frustration. If Bob Chapik's performance is poor and inadequate, then articulate that. I do it myself. I don't see the company as perfect. I don't say everything is just glowing and, and satisfactual. I know too well its flaws. I know it having been a former cast member and leader within the organization. But those and those places need to be called out. But you can provide critical thinking without simply being critical of others. Putting down someone does not offer answers or solutions. And if you say that someone like a CEO, well, they're an open target for being mean-spirited. What you're really saying that's okay, given the right situation, to bully anyone. I say there is never a time to demean others. No one, never. To that end, I say stop bullying. You look petty. You come across as unprofessional, and it's not in keeping with the spirit of what is at the heart of Disney. I'm not saying that because Bob Chapek needs to be supported. He doesn't need my support. But I am saying that because really, if you're going to look at your own lives, look at the issues. Don't look at the personalities. And that probably leads me to what I always have in a Disney at Work podcast. Souvenirs. Free souvenirs for your organization. Ask yourself these questions. What criteria are you using to judge the performance of others? Are you fair in making judgments based on that criteria? When circumstances that are out of control um, to most people occur, do you seek to find someone to blame? Is it all about blaming someone? How can you exercise critical thinking without simply being critical of others? And do you make fun of others as a put down? What's the cost of doing so? What message are you sending to others when you do so? Again, the Walt Disney Company isn't perfect, but it is the best benchmark I present to corporations and public entities and nonprofits across the globe. I offer lots of benchmarks and there are other great organizations out there doing great things. And I give lots of examples. My book, Lead With Your Customer, offers over a different, over a hundred different companies. But the one I talk about most is the Walt Disney Company. Bob Iger said he wanted to make this the best company to work for and the most admired in, um, in America. I think he did a great job. And I think Bob Chapek, despite the circumstances, is doing his best to continue that legacy. So give the guy a break, give the company a break. Be patient and look at the positive. Criticize what needs critical assessment. Don't be critical of others. 
look for the positive, look for the inspiration, call out the good, because that's what attracts people to doing better and being better. Well, this concludes our Disney at Work podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you like these kinds of messages, know that when you join our Wayfinder Society Patreon group, you get the opportunity in the top two tiers to hear best in business ideas from Disney that you can apply back to your own organization. Right now, those who join have access to our Disney at Work uh, Disneyland interactive guide where you can see over 50 different places in the happiest place on earth that offers great ideas, not only for your business, your organization, but for your own personal well-being. And uh, I invite you to check it out. Take a look at it. Small proceed or small part of it uh, of the proceeds goes to help those who right now are unemployed in this area, especially Walt Disney World cast members, those who are struggling to make it even. So know that your donation helps to go to help others during this difficult time. As always, I have a phrase, and I think I'm going to replay the song on the way out today. It comes from Sinbad's storybook journey. Um, I think that's uh, podcast 37. You got to go way back. If you're not familiar with it, it comes from Tokyo Disney Sea. It's an attraction there. It's a song written by Alan Menken. You know, Alan Menken has written all those great uh, songs for Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and The Little Mermaid. This is my favorite Alan Menken song. And the message is simply, follow the compass of your heart. I invite you, wherever you are and whatever you do, do that. Follow the compass of your heart. It will lead you home. It will lead you to success. Have a great day. We will see you real soon. The treasure